The Athletic. I'm Michelle Owen and this is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast World Cup Edition. Today we'll be looking back on day two of the FIFA Women's World Cup. Spain handed out the first drubbing against Costa Rica. The Philippines made their World Cup debut against Switzerland and Olympic champions Canada took on Nigeria. Joining me today are The Athletics' Chloe Morgan and Melanie Anzadeh. Hello both. Hello, thanks for having us. Hiya, you're right guys. We'll also be hearing from Laia Caveo herrero and Jacob Whitehead later in the show. So first up, it is Costa Rica v Spain. Spain gave Costa Rica a bit of a humbling in the opening game of Group C at the Wellington Regional Stadium in New Zealand. The rain was absolutely hammering down. The players had gloves on. Not exactly Barbie weather today. The Athletics Lair Caveo Herrera was there and sent us this just after the final whistle. Big debut for Spain at the World Cup in New Zealand. The rain and the cold did not stop the Spanish national team from beating Costa Rica 3-0 in the most comfortable result of the competition so far. The goals came from Aitana Bonmatí and Esther González. Bonmatí was also involved in the first goal scored by Valeria del Campo in her own net. The second was a masterpiece from the midfielder who was named player of the match. González, meanwhile, scored the third. The forward had a bitter end to the season at her already former club, Real Madrid, but she made amends in Wellington. These days in training for Jorge Villasite, we had seen a lot of intensity. The players managed to bring that intensity to the pitch today, especially in the first half. And after the game, the players were regretting not having converted more chances into goals. Jorge Villa called for Spain's play to be recognisable, and it was, actually, even if the second half was a bit stormy. Alexia Putillas came on in the final minutes. The Catalan had only trained twice with the group and was the big doubt. The national team wanted to be cautious with her and go slowly, reserving her for more demanding matches, and Costa Rica was the easiest match of the group stage. Positive feelings then uh, in Spain's great debut. Um, So, Chloe, Spain are one of the many teams going to the tournament that have had quite a lot of off-field drama, it's fair to say. It's been well documented. By the way, Lai's got a great piece on The Athletic, which is worth your time to have a read about. Can you sort of sum up the context of what's been happening in the run-up to the tournament, where do you start? Really, I think um, obviously it started um, sort of a few months back with uh, with the players uh, not being happy with um, you know the behaviour and in the manager of uh, Jorge Vilda, um, and a number of sort of very high-profile players were very outspoken, saying they basically wanted to get rid of him. Um, but he's managed to stay uh, in the lead. He's managed to stay uh, as as uh, in, in management position. Um, and uh, a number of the players now have uh, have come back into the squad, uh, but they are still missing sort of some of their key players. 
I mean, judging by the performance today, you'd expect that they were maybe going to be affected by what's happened. Maybe a, a squad that was sort of, you know, not in the best place to really go into an international tournament. Um, you know, they don't have a, a manager that they really felt that galvanised around, but they put on the performance of a lifetime and it really feels like there was nothing going on behind the scenes. So credit to them really for doing the job today. Yeah, Melanie, Spain are a team with this incredible talent. They aren't really being touted there was a contender to win the World Cup, are they? Do you think they should be considered as a contender or maybe are they a dark horse because we know about their talent? I mean, it's just very interesting to see how the team was able to kind of pull it through for the whole, you know, 90 minutes. I know specifically when Aitana scored that goal, it was such a, it was such a beauty, you know, like cutting and then just making that shot so strong and you know, they really held on for the rest of the match and anything can happen. You know, you can win, a, you can lose your first match and win a World Cup. But I think just from seeing what we saw today, I wouldn't count them out for, you know, making it far in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, context wise, Chloe Costa Rica are one of the weak teams in the tournament. Spain had 80% of the ball. So I guess it's important not to get too carried away as well, isn't it? I think this is a game that we're expecting to happen and it panned out exactly the way that we expected it to. I mean, it only took 20 minutes really before uh, Spain managed to find the back of the net or Costa Rica managed to find the back of the net for Spain, should I say. But it was very much a kind of, you know, one-way traffic situation. Um, Spain applied pressure to Costa Rica pretty much from the outset. I mean, within the first 10 minutes, I think there was 100 passes that that Spain had already made. And I think that was just the way that things were going. And, and by the end of the game, I think there was about 26 um, shots that had been um, had been notched up on, on Spain. So it was definitely a difficult one. Credit to Costa Rica, really, for, you know, managing to keep the scoreline very reasonable. Obviously, I think after that first goal went in, the second goal pretty much a, a minute or so after, and the third goal not too long after that, it kind of felt like it could be a situation that we could see a double figures uh, if Costa Rica weren't too careful in, in their defence. But credit to them in the second half, they definitely pulled it out of the bag in terms of the sort of emergency defending they had to pull off. A couple of great saves from their keeper as well, so it's a credit to her. So it was definitely a more robust performance in the second half from Costa Rica, but it was yeah, the game panned out exactly as I think uh, everyone expected it would be. Amazing, it was 46 shots. That Spain had one for Costa Rica, none on target. Obviously, that there was a golfing class. Chloe, though, have you ever been on the wrong side of a game like this, where you know the weather's pretty disgusting? You're trying to be motivated. Yes, you're playing at World Cup, but that must be hard. And I almost felt at three nil. It felt like the floodgates were going to open. So how did Costa Rica keep their discipline, do you think? Yeah, I think I've definitely been in situations where you just don't want to be on the pitch anymore. I mean, I remember a game back when I was playing for for Spurs against Arsenal and the scoreline was 9-0 and it was a friendly, thank God, but it was a, it was an open doors game. And there is something about just having to constantly pick the ball up out the back of your net. And um, and also credit to her as well for, for dealing with some of the high balls that were coming in because I understand it was quite windy in the stadium as well. And it's they're always difficult to judge. So I always have a lot of sympathy for, for keepers in those conditions. Is there, before we move on to the Philippines, Switzerland, anything else to add about this game? I think the only thing I'd add is, is to, for everyone to watch out for, for Gonzalez. I think she had such a fantastic game today. I think she's going to be one of the tournament's uh, really bright stars. And I wouldn't be surprised if she's sort of in contention for uh, the golden boot in this competition. She starts to knock up some of these, uh, these goals in the early stages. So, uh, yeah, she'd definitely be my one to watch after that game. Okay, earlier in the day in Group A, Switzerland defeated World Cup debutants, the Philippines, 2-0. In our preview show, which you can listen to if you'd like, uh, there's a whistle-stop tour of every group. Now, our panel mentioned Switzerland being a dark horse. Melanie, did they live up to that today or come close to that billing here? I mean, Switzerland, in the very beginning of the match, I mean, it almost seemed like they weren't going to have the game that they had. The call went back against them and in the very beginning you thought the Philippines had it 
everyone. That was kind of the Cinderella story that a lot of people were probably rooting for as the underdog in that situation. But I felt like Switzerland really woke up in that moment. And good for them that they did, because if they hadn't, then I'm not really sure we would have seen the same turnout in that matchup that we saw. We've called Spain dark horses and Switzerland dark horses so far. So our football cliches colleague, Adam Hurry, said we can only have three dark horses maximum in the tournament. So we do have one more slot available. Um, There was that incredible double save from the Philippines, Olivia McDaniel. She couldn't keep out Serena Pubel, who slotted at home at the third time of asking Chloe. She made some incredible saves. You know, as a keeper perspective, and I know obviously there's a goalkeeper union type thing, so I don't want to be too biased, but I mean... She absolutely had her work cut out for her in that game. And that that double save bit, I mean, that's it was the positioning. So I looked over the save a couple of times and um, obviously it was from this sort of cut back position initially. And the way that she's gone from the front post to then moving her feet around so quickly to kind of get across the goal and then also to get back up again for that second attempt. If I was her, I'd be absolutely fuming at the fact that defenders weren't hot on that third attempt because she'd already done so much trying to prevent the goal. So, yeah, it was. Um, I, I think it was always going to be a little bit inevitable because I think obviously Switzerland did manage to find their feet a little bit more and the, the attacks were coming sort of wave after wave. So it did kind of feel like it was with the run of the game. But credit to the Philippines. I mean, as their first, obviously, entrant into the into the World Cup, I thought they put up a, a really decent battle against a side that was was very much expected to to turn them over. Yeah, absolutely. And the result leaves Group A like this. Switzerland atop by virtue of goal difference above co-host New Zealand, both on three points in Norway and the Philippines follow up in third and fourth with no points so far just after the first game. Okay, and the day's action started with Nigeria drawing 0-0 with Olympic champions Canada in Group B. So there was another penalty miss early on in this tournament and perhaps you wouldn't have expected it because it was from legendary Canadian Christine Sinclair. And... This was a fantastic save, wasn't it, Melanie? Oh, man. I was watching it on repeat so many times after that. It wasn't just one save. It was one save, a second save, and a third save in a row. And it's just fantastic that she was able to do that. And, you know, incredible for her to have been able to do that for sure. Yeah, the goalkeeper, Chimaka Ndozi, um, has been absolutely key to Paris FC's Rise Up Division 1 in France over the past two seasons. But Chloe, over the course of the game as well, it sounded like she had... A fantastic turnout today. Yeah, she was just so confident. And I think that was the thing about the Nigerian team. Obviously, they've come off the back of, you know, quite a lot of controversy in in recent months with some issues with their federation, uh, their coach. Uh, I know that the squad didn't really get a lot of time in the lead up to the World Cup to really have any training sessions so that uh, Waldron could really see sort of how the squad were going to to be working together and and which players to, to even select. Uh, and then on top of that, with Lauren Gregg, the, the technical director, um, not being um, selected to to attend by the, the the Nigerian Federation, it it did sort of cause a lot of um, concern, I suppose, going into the competition. But you know what I saw today for, from Nigeria didn't suggest to me there were any issues going on. Another World Cup team who were coming into this competition, maybe off the back of you know a lot of a lot of heavy baggage, uh, but actually once they got into the field, everything sort of got left behind, and and they put in an absolute performance of a lifetime really against Canada. But yeah, absolutely massive credit to to Endosi. I mean, that penalty save. And I I think it kind of worked out for the best. I do think it was a very evenly matched game. So I think the nil-nil ending was, was definitely the, the correct result. But I sort of looked back in, in the same way that Melly did over, over how she went into that save. And it was it was a it wasn't the best of penalties from Sinclair. I think, you know, her obviously having that experience, and it would have been had she slotted that home, been the uh, I think she would have been the oldest World Cup player to, to ever score in in the competition. So it she would have been making history with that. So I think the pressure was definitely on her. But you know, and Dozy, I think, had a little bit of an advantage in the way that Sinclair had that run up because it, it did seem very obvious that she was going to be opening up her body and, and trying for the right hand corner. So 
absolutely credit to Endosi for, for saving, but I think Sinclair could have maybe done better with that penalty. We had a really nasty red card in this game. Uh, Deborah Abudun was a nasty challenge. I mean, the more you watch it back, the worse it looks. If you're squeamish, it's hard to watch. Look, she's only 19, Melanie. You could point to an experience, but I mean, putting a challenge in like that so late in the game... I mean, what's going through ahead there? It's just not smart. I mean, maybe just the pressure of being on the world's biggest stage for the first time and, you know, wanting to give your all for the rest of the game. But like you said, it just wasn't a smart call. It just wasn't a smart decision. And hopefully this is, you know, first game jitters and maybe she'll learn and she won't be doing this in the future. Yeah, and VAR again implemented and we, we got to hear about the decision as well. I'm really enjoying sort of getting the explanation from the referees. I think that's a really nice addition to the tournament. Uh, so, Chloe, Group B is finally poised after the first round of fixtures. Uh, Canada play the Republic of Ireland Wednesday. Australia top the group. The co-hosts play Nigeria on Thursday. If we assume it's Australia on one other coming out of this group... It feels pretty open. Who do you think it's going to be? I mean, as much as I want to give credit to the Republic of Ireland, they obviously had an incredible game um, yesterday. I mean, it really was quite a quite an evenly matched battle. I mean, Katie McCabe leading the line with a very kind of passion, passionate, aggressive stance that they were taking. And I do think they were going to run away with the draw as well. So I think they were unlucky not to, to get that. But I think it's definitely between Nigeria and Canada. And I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if Nigeria were the ones coming out second. I think there was just a bit of a spark about them. And I think they'll definitely have built on their confidence from, from the game today, thinking that actually they've got a chance here on, on making it through to, to the round of round of 16. So... I think my money so far is on is on Nigeria. Oh, Group B is definitely one to watch. Okay, England begin their World Cup campaign tomorrow against Haiti, and we'll look ahead to that after this. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. So European champions England begin Group D against Haiti. The Athletics' Jacob Whitehead is our reporter on the ground covering the Lionesses throughout the tournament and he sent this report. Hello, Jacob Whitehead here on a muggy evening in Australia reporting from the England camp. The squad actually came to Suncorp Stadium today to have a look at it ahead of their opening match against Haiti tomorrow and it really is a great stadium. It's incredibly steep. It's known as the home of rugby league, which really is a religion here. But World Cup comes to Brisbane tomorrow. Serena Wiegmann and Millie Bright spoke to the media and yes, Bright being present means she is fit to start. She obviously hasn't played in over three months, but Serena Wiegmann was categorical that she was fit. Didn't, however, give any other indication of her team's makeup. Bright also spoke about the squad's frustrations with the whole performance bonus situation. There's been lots of stuff from that on the Athletic. They're currently in dispute with the FA, but have parked it until the end of the tournament. One final thing, I was at the Haiti press conference this morning 
And there could be some bulletin board material for England. Haiti coach Nicolas Delapine, he's from Nantes in France, said, If I have to talk about the strengths of England, I'll be here for the whole press conference. They're obviously very good on the attacking side, but maybe they have a problem with finishing. Because strike is a little bit of a problem, not a problem position, but where question marks are for England, kind of will Alessia Russo start, most likely is Rachel Daly, Beth England's an outside chance. Well, this time tomorrow, we'll know who Vigman selected, and we'll also know if England really do have a problem with finishing. They're overwhelming favourites against Haiti, but will they be able to turn that into an outstanding performance in their first game? Well, Melanie, the big news there, as mentioned by Jacob, it was confirmed this morning, Millie Bright will be available for England. How big a boost is that? Just having your captain on on this big stage isn't significant. I mean, we saw the, just talking about other groups, I mean, we saw what happened with Australia, you know, the heartbreak that happened when Sam Kerr wasn't available. So just having, even if not just having them on the field, but just having their presence in a way, it just boosts the team. So that's significant for the squad yeah huge and hopefully we'll see how match fit she is chloe tomorrow beyond her being fit to start defense what are the main selection questions for you because i actually had to sort of send in my team to the athletic and who i'd pick and it was hard you know i know there are some crucial injuries crucial players missing i feel like going forward the lionesses are really strong but where do you see the big selection headaches for Serena Vigman? To be honest, I think the question on everyone's lips at the moment seems to be who's going to be taking that that top spot. Is it going to be Russo or is it going to be Daly? And I think obviously we've seen in the sort of lead up games that, you know, Daly's been the, the preference. But and obviously it, it sort of makes sense, really, with the kind of season that she's had with with Villa, obviously taking the, uh, the WSL Golden Boots title this year. She's been a, a very strong contender for it. She's really made her mark on the WSL this season and put herself in such a good position for selection and also to, to be in the start. 11 but then you compare her also against you know someone like Alessia Russo obviously just gone on uh, a massive transfer from from Man United over to to Arsenal and and rightly so I think she's going to get the sort of development that she needs amongst you know some of the best strikers in in the league I mean once Miedemar and Miedemar are fighting fit she'll obviously be in contention uh, in, in that position as well but I think, um, you know, she was Man United's top, got a joint top goal scorer last, last season, along with Leah Galton. So I do feel that she's obviously set her stall out as well. But I know for me, I think I, I can see Serena probably going with Daly. I think Daly has more experience. She's a bit of an, um, an older head. And I, and I think she has definitely put herself in contention to to start with maybe Russo coming on as as one of uh, Serena's uh, super subs, uh, sort of in the in the, the first section of the of the second half, as, as she did so uh, for the Euros, which was obviously a winning combination. I mean, we saw Russo at her absolute best coming on and, and scoring some absolutely worldy, iconic goals. So hoping for very much of the same. Exactly. I just wonder, given what happened last summer, given Russo's impact off the bench might Vigman lean that way. It's going to be absolutely intriguing. Um, Melanie, who are you most excited about in this England squad? Is there anyone you think might surprise people in this tournament? I'm not sure entirely about surprising, but of course, just the off-pitch narratives, you know, rooting for people outside of football, outside of soccer. So Mary Earps is someone, you know, who is facing things off the pitch. And so given that, you you kind of want to root for them and want to see them do things on the field that'll kind of, you know, prove their worth in a way that maybe others don't see. So those are those kinds of storylines and narratives that I think go beyond, you know, just the England storylines and just globally too. Absolutely. And we're going to come on to that in just a second about the Mary Earps night goalkeeping issue. Chloe, since the Euros, what are the main things that have changed in the England squad then? Look, there's obviously no Ellen White, no Jill Scott. They've hung up their boots. 
Leah Williamson being injured. I don't know if you've seen that thing on Instagram on the Lionesses account. Absolutely brilliant sort of promo advert to support the Lionesses with, with Jill Scott. But, I mean, she's a big miss. And seeing that makes you realise what a leader she is, doesn't it? Massively. I think um, when you look at the sort of average age of the squad, I think, you know, Charlotte Harper wrote quite a, a, a good piece recently just saying, you know, that the average age of the squad has dropped down by about two, two and a half years or so. And and whilst that doesn't seem like a, a big impact, actually, when you look at some of the average ages of, you know, the younger members of, of the squad, you've got Esme Morgan in there. You've got Lauren James, who are, you know, Esme Morgan's really young. Lauren James is only 21 herself. And you forget sometimes because they, they sometimes seem such a, a cool, calm and collected bunch. But yeah, there's definitely been a change around. Obviously, with the back line, um, that's been a bit problematic. Uh, we weren't too sure, obviously, whether Bright was going to be starting. So we we did think that maybe, you know, Esme Morgan was going to drop in there with, with Jess Carter and then, you know, the back line looking, looking slightly different than it did last year. But I think on top of that, even if you just sort of put aside the kind of personnel changeover with the Lionesses, there's definitely been a change in mentality. I think this year, obviously, they're not going into a tournament having been the, the hosts. They're going into a tournament with a lot of different squads that they've not really had the opportunity to play that much. Uh, you know, squads like Brazil, the USA, they, they obviously played last year and, and won that game. But you don't get those opportunities that 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 often. So when you do get, you know, against these sides that you don't really know as much about as, as maybe some of the more European sides that you might be playing against in, in Champions League football, it does change things as well. But I think there does seem to be a different mentality with the Lionesses. Um, I mean, this year alone, we've kind of seen them speak up quite a lot in in terms of, you know, uh, Leah and, and Lotta leading the way for, for government programmes and getting more girls involved in, in football, in, in schools. We've just seen uh, the Lionesses stand up for themselves in terms of the FA bonus issue. And again, just, just obviously this morning uh, with Mary Earps and the, and the goalkeeper kit. So this feels like a very emboldened and very empowered Lionesses um, group. So I think hopefully we'll see the same thing translating into their performances uh, tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. A really inspiring group of women for sure. Melanie, just finally from an outside perspective, how are England rated with your sort of USA hat on? Are they the team you're worrying about the most? I'm not sure. I mean, every team you worry about, correct? I mean, you never really, I mean, Australia did beat England recently. So you have, you know, you look back at those moments and you wonder really when it comes to that world stage, when it comes to playing in the World Cup, it it could really be up to anyone to kind of make it through. Of course, you know, the classic England versus USA is it football, is it soccer? That would be fantastic if we could potentially see that in the tournament to be seen. Well, as we heard from Jacob, England are trying to park off the pitch matters when it comes to issues around player bonuses until after the tournament. But Chloe, you've written this piece for The Athletic about Mary Earps and the ongoing problem that we've mentioned about being able to buy a replica shirt for England's number one. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's uh, the piece only came out this morning. All of the press was sort of packed into uh, the conference room at the Lionesses Hotel a couple of days ago. And, you know, we're expecting Mary Earps to come in and sort of give us a, a few a few comments about the uh, the ongoing bonus issue. But what actually happened was that she was asked a, a good question about why her shirt wasn't on sale. And the preceding 30 minutes were just Mary Earps really opening up to us all about the issues that she'd had with Nike trying to um, get them or persuade them to, to, to sell her shirt. I mean... It's such a bizarre situation that you can buy any of the Lionesses shirts online. You can get Russo, you can get Greenwood daily, um, any 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 player, um, but you can't get a Mary Earps shirt. And it was something that she'd spoken to Nike about. She said that she'd exhausted all the opportunities that she could in, in sort of negotiating with them, even so far as offering to actually pay for the production and, and sale of the shirt herself. And like she'd obviously spoken to a, a couple of the, the more senior players, the senior leadership team. So that's Millie Bright and also uh, Leah Williamson, I think also uh, Lucy Bronze as well. Some of the older heads in the squad to, to sort of say, well, you know, am I being, am I sort of making too much of a, of a meal out of this? Do I need to sort of, um, you know, tone it down a bit? And, and they'd all had her back in and, and said, you know what, 
if Nike aren't being that inclusive, we, we really need to question our, our sort of relationship with them. So it was a very explosive um, Wednesday. I think I just arrived. I was slightly jet lagged and I just wasn't expecting that Erps was going to be delivering so many incredible, really inspirational messages to the press pack so early on and especially only two days out from the tournament. So credit to Erps also for, for being so bold and brave in, in raising the issue and, and creating awareness of you know how hard it is to be a goalkeeper sometimes we we are sometimes classed as the second citizens in the uh, in the team so you know from a personal level also you know incredibly incredibly thankful to her i mean this this is hard to get your head around melanie you know she's ba- voted fifa's best keeper she's the winning keeper at the euros she's one of england's best players she's a leader and i'm scrounging around the internet with my friends we're trying to find the shirt for our little boys because they love the color and you know, sometimes it's as simple as that, but there's going to be other young children, adults that want the goalkeeper jersey. It's a cool top. You know, even just being sort of as shallow as the aesthetics, it looks great. But when you dig deeper, I mean, this this is hard to get your head around, isn't it? And it could be potentially damaging for England's relationship with Nike, like Mary Earps has, has said, and maybe rightly so. Absolutely. I mean... With women's sports, I feel like this is a theme. This is common across the board. I mean, you see you have a simple oversight that maybe someone in the Nike executive office just didn't think it was a big deal. But then, of course, it's on the world's biggest stage, so everyone will see it as a big deal. And with that, it's just we see one story cropping out on one team. There's probably some similar stories we just don't know about yet, you know, that are probably happening elsewhere. So you know, it's one of those things where having this issue on the world's biggest stage, you would hope that it kind of reverberates and kind of promotes this kind of change that continues on and hopefully corrects it for the better for the future of, you know, just simple things. So, you know, your son can get your jer- his jersey and also just for the women's game in the future. So this doesn't happen again. Absolutely. I think we're sort of all a similar age here and we've seen the women's game grow so much. But I personally still feel here's another example of how far we've got to go. It is so frustrating. Well, we've spoken about the Lionesses, but Melanie, the USA enter the World Cup tomorrow against Vietnam. What's the mood like across the pond? Everyone's excited. I mean, for the US, it's prime time, Friday night, 9pm, when the game will be happening. So the hope and the assumption is everyone will be watching. Well, 9pm New York time, 7 or 6pm LA time. Anyway, jet lag. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you're keeping up with the times, to be fair. Um, but it, it's optimism. I mean, is there a lot of expectation on this team to retain the title? I mean, 3P is what everyone's been saying, right, for so long. But we'll see. I mean, you never know the first game. Anything can happen. You could lose your first game and go on and win a tournament. So hopefully that's not what happens here. But I definitely think that this team, we will see a lot. We will learn so much about how this tournament will be for the women's national team off of how tomorrow will go. Yeah, looking forward to it. And Chloe, what else are you looking forward to tomorrow? Well, um, apparently there's a big, big England game going on tomorrow. Uh, so I'll be down there with Michael Cox and Jacob Whitehead covering that. I mean, everyone's expecting, obviously, England are going to be the favourites going into this game. Uh, you know, with the success of the Euros last year, the strength of the squad, the the attacking front line in particular. Um, but I do think Haiti are going to pose quite a threat. I mean, we were speaking to some of the players a couple of weeks back, especially uh, Danny Etienne. And she was saying that they've kind of got nothing to lose, that they're very much a team going into this competition with no expectations. It might feel like a bit of a David and Goliath type situation. So I don't think it's going to be the easy walkover that we're all expecting. And especially where, you know, England are coming into this game, I think, with about 250 minutes where they haven't actually uh, scored. So 
Um, unless we can actually find the back of the net, it could be a draw and, and even worse. So I don't want to make things too dramatic. And I'm obviously very optimistic about our chances going into this um, into this game. But I don't think it's going to be the uh, the easy game that perhaps everyone's expecting. So the drama continues at the World Cup. I mean, and every single game has had a penalty. So I'm just hoping that's uh, that's a penalty in our favour. Now, I was re- looking forward to a relaxing sort of mid-morning coffee, maybe a little vegetarian bacon sandwich and seeing England get into their flow. But I have to admit, I'm a little bit worried as well, but very much looking forward to it. Thank you very much for joining us today. Make sure you're subscribed to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast wherever you're listening now so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks to my guests, Melanie Anzadeh, Chloe Morgan, Laia Caveo-Herrero and Jacob Whitehead. I'm Michelle Owen and we will see you tomorrow. The Athletic.